This isn't beer, by the way. It's beer. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Peasants Forever and Quail Forever on the Wing Podcast. The voice you hear coming through, not drinking beer. He's, 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 there's an editor, Tom Carpenter, the editor of the Peasants Forever Journal. I'm watching him through our online quarantine podcasting app, Squadcast, and he is indeed drinking a green can of Perrier water. <laughs> I had to show Bob I was taking a drink, and this can looks, it does look like a small beer. It, it doesn't look like the type of beer I would drink, but it looks like a beer. I, think, I better let Bob know that this isn't beer, so I showed him the logo. I guess I said, per, is it Perrier? I, I don't know. I, I say per, I'm Minnesotan. I say Perrier. If there's an R there, you say it, right? Don't waste that R. <laughs> well, we're we're both drinking, drinking, drinking. <laughs> we're both drinking carbonated water. <laughs> we sound but, like we're drinking more, but yeah, exactly. It is the end of a long day. Yeah, it is. We we are recording at the end of um, uh, Monday in December. Uh, and, and it, which is fitting because we are going to talk late season roosters, and this is a um, another podcast based on one of Tom Carpenter's uh, fantastic articles, feature articles in the Pheasants Forever Journal. Uh, if you are a current member, this particular article is hitting your mailboxes right about now. And uh, it the article is called "It Ain't Over Yet." Uh, <laughs> Good English it, there. Yeah, it ain't 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 a word, but uh, it is in this instance. Yes. It ain't over yet. Story by Tom Carp Carpenter. Photos by Derek Bond, a good friend from South Dakota. And it does. This article is accompanied with uh, some absolutely yeah. wonderful photography and. Uh, um, I don't remember if Emily or Logan designed this one, but it's it's a gorgeous, gorgeous layout. Yeah, em Emily designed this one. She had some some great photography, and she gave it her usual. She's got a, a simple flair. I'd call it elegant. And the article, and we're going to talk about some of the content. I hope everybody reads it too. But you will enjoy looking at it too. If, if you if you're if you don't think you want to hunt late season, looking at these pictures will make you go, "I got to get out." Yeah. Well, and that that's a great transition because the subhead, as you wrote it. Um, there are plenty of excuses for sitting out the late season for pheasants, but more reasons to just go hunting. So we're gonna we're gonna break this up, uh, this particular podcast up exactly the way you broke it down in the story as it appears in the winter edition of the Pheasants Forever Journal. A, we're gonna talk about misconceptions reasons people give for not wanting to hunt late season. B, we're going to give some tactics on how'd you put it in the last podcast, that that hefty weight into the back. to put a roostery sag in your game bag. There we go. We're going to talk about tactics to give you the roostery sag in your game bag. And then C, we're going to give you some tips for where to go 
late season. So without further ado, we're going to dive right into this yep. and start with uh, the misconceptions. And, and Carp, as you wrote this, there are three misconceptions that people use as excuses to stay on the couch and turn on the football game rather than lacing up the boots, plowing through some snow, and getting after the birds. Let's start with misconception number one. And I've heard this. So as we record this on, you know, first week of December, I've heard this over and over and over already because uh, the misconception number one is the birds are all shot out and there aren't many or any roosters left. Yep. And we, I've heard this over and over and over because everybody's like, well, you know, in this COVID year, there's so many people out bird hunting and there's so many people on public lands. There's no birds left. It's a waste of time to go find them. Misconception number one, Carp. I'm, there aren't I'm any not, birds left. I'm not even going to repeat what I wrote. You can read it in the magazine. I'm going to tell you a story. I was out. It's late season. I mean, the, the weather is fairly has been fairly mild. I think it's turning right now and out in Minnesota here anyway. But it's late season hunting. I was out last Friday, heavily hunted area. Good night. Beautiful, beautiful public land area. The type of place we talk about a complex, nice habitat. It gets hammered. It gets hammered. I went out there. It was Friday, still a weekday. I uh, I'm not going to go into the whole story, but I saw nine roosters. Mm. I walked 20, 29,000 steps for the day, probably 20,000 steps there. It's a big area. I got in a place. I got in the far back end. I know nobody had been there. I saw nine roosters and we did very well. My dog did great. Coming out, I saw a guy. I, I'm, I'm not, he was overweight late middle-aged overweight with a fat lab and he had a rooster he's like yeah we found this bird right here next to the road look at that right in this light cover there's birds out there i mm -hmm. mean it's it's as simple as that we're hunting a place i know gets hammered and i i didn't know the i i found nine birds he found one taking a 200 yard walk with his dog in a piece of beautiful cover next to a cornfield there's birds out there. Don't kid yourself. Don't talk yourself into that. There's not birds out there. Well, and we, we're going to talk tactics in a moment, but you brought up a tactic during what you did your story that I don't believe is in your list of tactics. <laughs> and that is you were hunting a great big area. Yep. So one of so, and I just had somebody ask me of this on, on Twitter, not more than 15 minutes ago before we jumped onto this podcast. Gentleman tweeted me, asked, said, I'm going to South Dakota the week of Christmas. First time I've ever been there. What tips do you have? And the number one tactic I said was look for great big spots that people, you know, the, the apple's too big for too many people for people yep. to bite off, or they just don't go to the far end like you did. They get tired out before they get there. The yep. other type type of parcels that I look for late season 
are the really tiny ones mm -hmm. that everybody else overlooks. So yep. I go for giant or miniature. Yep. So just tactic. We're going to get into tactics in a minute. Yeah. But those were those were ones, and they don't even show up on your tactics. No. Nope. So I thought I would I drop them in there as we were going through misconceptions. Yep. All right, misconception number two. You talked about there are roosters to be found out there. Misconception number two, it says the roosters are too wild. They've been chased around all over for two months, and you can't get close to them. What say you about that misconception? Well, this is, we're going to talk a lot about the solutions to this one in the tactics. And I, so I won't go in. So I'm not going to go into all the tactics. I mean, we might cover a couple here in our brief discussion. But my main message here to other pheasant hunters is, yes, there are these birds are wild as all hell. There's no doubt about it. They hear a little click of a car door. They hear a, they hear you yelling at your dog. They hear a few too many whistles at your dog, whatever, whatever the situation is, they know what's going on and they take off. They either take off running or flying or hunkering in whatever the case may be. But most, most likely of all is they're just too wild, which means they're just flying. They're going, you're, you're not going to get close to them. Yes, you are. If you take some of these tactics and we're going to talk about them, I, I, I'll just say the word slow. Yeah. And don't get excited. They're, slow they're, and quiet. And quiet, slow and quiet. And we're going to get into that. But you can get these birds in the late season. There, There's going to be one that's going to make a mistake. Um, and you, you just have to be there and, and you have to, if they're, if they're going wild, you just got to let them go and keep going at your speed. Be careful. Be, you know, we're just repeating ourselves here, but yeah. they will, you will get one if you keep going. And, and that brings up another point that, that we might get to. We might not. It's like, it's a late season, man. If you get one rooster in a day, you're doing good. Yeah. Yeah. It's a trophy. And you yes. should know, you should know going into it that it's not about a limit. It really shouldn't ever be about a limit. It should be about being outside, enjoying the hunt, being with your dog and a late season rooster, one, two, three, or four, if you're in Kansas, um, is absolutely something to cherish. Yeah. All right. Misconce we're, we, we're having a hard time not jumping forward to tactics because that's so the exciting part. But we're going to finish off yeah. mis misconceptions. Misconception number three, carp, it's just too darn miserable out there. It's cold. It's snowy. It's hard work. Here's my here's my solution. And there's absolutely a time, Bob, Bob, and you know it and I know it, where it's just too miserable for us as human beings to hunt. Yeah, and it's could be dangerous for our dogs. And here's how I solve late season. And, and Bob is my boss at Pheasants Forever knows this is that he can sort of predict what he sees on the calendar or on the weather report. And he sort of isn't surprised when I say, when I put in for my day off or whatever on a Thursday or a Tuesday or whatever, it's like, do your best to keep your plans flexible. And 
because there are days it's just miserable to hunt. It's, it's, it isn't fun to hunt when it's so miserable, but maybe a weekend is coming up. Maybe is Saturday going to be nice for a Sunday? You know, do life is hard, but do what you can to keep your plans flexible. And I'll, I'll also say that in a, in a more of a macro sense too, is if you're going to go on a late season trip, you know, and it's going to be three days, maybe give yourself a six day window and figure out what three days might be a little nicer on which to hunt. Mm -hmm. And it could be very worth your time. You know, everybody's got jobs. Everybody's got bosses, everybody, you know, at home or otherwise, but do what you can to can to stay flexible. So you don't have to hunt when it's just beyond miserable uh, for you or your dog. Now, there, I didn't. I didn't put it in. There's a fourth misconception, um, and there's a whole article, another article, and we'll just touch on it here. Is is it ever too tough on the pheasants that I shouldn't even be hunting them? And there's a great companion article following this. It's it's by Anthony Hauk, a former PR director. He's talked to he talked to a lot of biologists and gives you some insights into is there ever a time that I as a hunter should say, you know, it's too rough out there. I'm not gonna bother these birds. So we'll leave it at that. Yeah, yeah, it's a great article to point to. And you know, I, we certainly understand um because most of the time we have to live within the the rules of the calendar and Saturday and Sunday or Saturday and Sunday. Um, meaning we're working for the weekend most of the time too. But if you do have the flexibility to create a Friday off or a midweek day off, A, you're going to lose a lot of other hunters that um, are locked into those days. And then be mindful of the, the variables to determine the right weather. They don't come down exclusively to just temperature. Nope. Because um, for me, and, and really interested to hear what you think about this carpet, I look for, you know, temperature is probably the third thing on the list that I look for. Number one, if, if it's going to snow, and I, I'm not talking about a foot of snow, but like if it's going to snow, say, three inches of fluffer, fluffy powder, I want to be out there because it's going to make things quiet. Because if you're walking on crunchy snow, it's so loud and those birds are going to just hear you coming a mile away. And that's a really, really, probably the toughest conditions to hunt in when you're walking on crunchy snow and you're post So if I got fluffy snow, that's a good thing for me to go. The other thing, I hate hunting in the wind. And if it's quiet... The wind is not bad. Say the wind is 10 miles an hour or less, and I got fluffy snow. I'll go out if it's 15 below if I've got those two components. Because to me, I can wear the right clothing for 15 below if I don't have to deal with wind chill. If I got to deal with wind chill, the sound of crunchy snow, and wind blowing that those birds are going to get bumpy, Boy, that's awfully tough conditions. But if I got cold, sunshine, powdery snow, and calm winds, that's a pretty darn set of good variables that I would take. How's that align with you? A hundred percent. Yeah. 
I just, I mean, I can't come, I can't, I can't pretend I know, I, I think any differently because I don't, I guess, I guess the only things I'd add is crunchy snow warns the birds you're coming. There's absolutely no doubt. It also tuckers you out. It just, mm-hmm. nothing wears you out like post-holing snow. Um, I mean, give, give me 20,000 steps in, in grass equals about 2,000 through, uh, mm-hmm. a, which is one mile post holing equals 10 miles walking if and that might not even be the right ratio so it's crunchy snow hate it absolutely I, i'm 100 percent with the wind I, I hate too much wind I, the right amount is the right amount and that's why you look for the, that's why you look for the right right days you know mm-hmm. um i'd also add a third one that you can't always have sunny sunny just makes me so happy out there and you can also sort of tell where the birds are if it's cold they're going to be somewhere in the sun Mm -hmm. they're going to be on some little cattail opening you know where there may be uh oh they they jump in a little clump of cattails and that dog points them or your dog your flushing dog goes in and his ass is sticking in the air and he's digging them out of there um so i don't i i like if I could, if I was a, a uh, chooser and not a beggar, I'd take sun too. Yeah, and you know what? You didn't catch it, but I said that too. Does yeah? I said, oh yeah, because yeah. you know who doesn't love a sunshiny day? No, and- those those cloudy days and the birds are hard to find. The other thing about a cloudy day, I'll be honest with you, is. Uh, you can't always tell if it's a rooster or not. You you picture a, a three three thirty eight p.m. on a cloudy December day with a few flurries coming down. It's hard to tell. I mean, I got good eyes, and I can't always tell what a rooster is because light is color, and yeah. with no light, you don't see color. And if and I tell you what, and this goes back to how smart they are, or survival of the fittest. The the cacklers are gone. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the cacklers done got shot. <laughs> All um, right. So let's let's dive into the meat, yeah. meat. which is the tactics because we realize more and and this is true. This is true for most of us. Carp's got a nice boss who lets him go when the weather forecast is right. <laughs> I have to work during the week like everybody else. So Saturdays and Sundays when when I go hunting, um you know, we, we <laughs> you like that, huh? So when, when everybody else is out there, we got to employ the tactics that are going to help us um, take care of the days when we just happen to be available to go hunting. So late season tactic number one, you wrote focus on cover more than food. Yep. Which which will be interesting because you're not discounting food. It's going to come up. But talk about putting cover as the primary variable in locating late season roosters. We always we think a lot about snow in late season, and it's true. Uh, farther south you go, not so much. But in some way, shape, or form, you're usually going to be dealing with some snow. Um, or and or you're going to be dealing with cover that's been smushed down to use the technical term in some way <laughs> and you ha- in some way it's been smushed down so you have to have they have to have some standing cover and the colder it is the worse the weather it is the more important that cover is be it cattails 
willows, willowy tangles, hell holes, the types of things I, I like to talk about. And obviously the ideal is there is a cut stubble field. There's some cover right next to it. Wow, that's it. Yeah, that's probably it. How, how likely are you, get that? are you to get that? Mm. Not a lot. I mean, there's going to be a lot of cut stuff that would have been roughly nice in October that's just crap now for cover. Yeah. Yeah. What, what do pheasants have on either side of their body? They have wings, and they will fly out to feed, and they will fly back to cover. I, and we'll, we'll even get into this a little more. It's another you, you, you can't hardly talk about any of these tactics without talking about the others, but you can you get up early and scout them, see where they're feeding, and watch where they fly back to. But so my, my point here is cover, they, they can fly to food, but they have to have, they have to be in cover during the day. And that's where you need to be hunting them. So describe the cover. You've touched on it, but go into a little bit more depth. What you mean by cover? By cover for winter. For I mean, winter. I mean, I mean, I mean, vertical standing cover with places for pheasants to move about either within it or underneath it and hide. Yeah. And you, what is it? I mean, it's cat. What, what, what's on the list? Cattails. Um, the edges of cattails where the grass and the cattails mix mm -hmm. the, the, the mix of cattails and grass and willow brush or redwood, red twig, dogwood brush, or all tag alders in the Northern climes or, you know, brush lines, woody cover. Um, the more thing, the more things you have coming together, the better. I sound like a quail hunter here. So it's standing cover. And and as you get south, you know, I love to hunt Nebraska. I love to go down to Kansas in in January. There's not as many cattails. It's that big, that blue stem, mm -hmm. that pollinator stuff we always talk about, the wildflower stems that are stiff and standing up, and maybe the seed pods are blown over, but not the stems. Stiff, stiff, stiff stemmed cover that birds have a chance to hide in. And it's it's not that soft grass that you found them in in October or that that I like to call an incubator that 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 rose that raised all the pheasants. That that stuff is gone or not used on the cold days. They're they're in that thick cover. And it and it could be, and you you know, we'll get it, we're bleeding into your tactic number two, but the cover, winter thermal cover, could be standing food plots. So Absolutely. it could be, could be sorghum, could be corn. So I think about sorghum when it gets knocked over by the snow and those heads get broke off and tipped down. So it creates that vertical structure you're talking about and the food, the seed heads underneath and everything that a rooster needs is right there in one spot. So that, that does bleed into late season tactic number two. Cover is number one, but as you wrote, late season tactic number two, scout the food, <laughs> follow the birds. So, and you've, you've talked about this a little bit, but let's explain it a little bit further what you mean, because ultimately binoculars aren't just for big game hunters, are they? No, no. I, I, this, this tactic is class. Here, here's a here's a classic late season hunt, and and I could be as guilty of as as anybody. It's like, man, it's cold, it's dark, you know. We had a nice long sleep. 
let's let's cook breakfast. Let's get up. Shooting hours, you know, depending on where you are, they're nine o'clock, ten o'clock, uh, eight eight o'clock in in Iowa, right. which is sort of early. But no matter what it is, you, you're you're probably constrained by some type of shooting hour. And even if you aren't, you you probably want to give those birds a chance to feed. Um, so whether you're whether you're limited by rule or by by ethics, there the 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 birds are likely to want to feed in the morning unless unless the weather is bad. So get up, get out there before shooting hours, especially if there's snow on, but even if there's not, most of the corn is gone, the stubble's gone, much of it's plowed. You can see these birds out there feeding. You can watch them. They, they might just walk back into cover and you're like, oh, know where they are. Or they might fly back in and you're like, oh, now I know where they are. Mm -hmm. And um sacrifice yourself a couple hours of sleep. I, was, I I think I even wrote it, but I, I certainly follow it. I, I get, I brew up a, I brew up some coffee. And if, if the, the kids are long or something, I, I, I get a box of greasy donuts and we just go drive and look and, and it's part, it's hunting. It's part of the hunt. And we sh I've shot a lot of late season birds because I got up and drove around and saw them fly into a cattail hell hole. And, and, and I tell you what, I, I've gone into these these hell holes, and I might have taken one pass through them if I hadn't known there were birds there and thought, ah, screw it. But I've gone through it back and forth and angled this way, and oh, not, no, we found them. They got, mm -hmm. got them nervous. You know, sometimes you walk in and they all boil out in one sits, and you get the one, and you're like, ah, that was worth it. But sometimes they don't even if it's if it's cold enough, still enough, the, this right amount, whatever the combination is, you can never figure pheasants out, and that's why it's so beautiful. Is you can get in there, and if you know they're there, you're gonna you're you're just gonna keep working them. Yeah, yeah, and this year in particular, like I mentioned, we're here in the lament. <laughs> I've I've heard the laments about there aren't any roosters left on public land since the second weekend because, oh, there's just so many hunters out this year because of COVID. Yep. Well, there has been a lot more hunters, which is great. There's a lot more pressure. So, but there are still birds out there. One thing that's working to late season hunters advantage this year is we have had really mild weather across the majority of the Northern part of the pheasant range that have kept the cattails wet and not frozen. So it's made the middle seasons a little bit harder, in my opinion, because those birds have been pushed into the cattails and they're in these little pheasant Valhallas that a lot of people can't get to. Yep. But what's going to happen now that we're getting some pretty consistent cold weather is those cattails lose are starting to freeze up. Yep. And when we get five, six inches of ice in those cattail sloughs, it's going to open up all sorts of spots. I can think about one Western Minnesota spot in particular that unless I bring hip waders to, I can't get to it until it freezes up. And that those types of places just suck in the birds yep. when the pressure's on. And the pressure's been on. Yep. And we're going to get to late season when a lot of people have hung it up. And those places that are froze now that I can walk to across the ice and get into some cherry spots. And those birds haven't felt pressure in six weeks. Yep. And they're going to be magical. 
I experienced it in a, my re, most recent late season hunt. Um, I told you a little bit about before we got, got on the air here, but I walked and walked and walked back and it's, it's a huge area and it's split by a Creek that drains a lake. Creek is just running open. It's, you know, it's fairly dry. So the cattails aren't that bad, but you, 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 you jump a bird, he goes the other side. You're like, mm, he's gone. You know, you, you got to walk two miles, one direction or two miles to the other to get to somewhere where you can literally cross. You, you couldn't even cross the Creek with hip hip boots. You know, mm. it's that deep, that mucky, that wet. Boy, when it freezes up, you just go back and forth. And, <laughs> and they're, they're, they're in big trouble. And, and you talked about, oh, public land, all the roosters are shot off this year. I'm not going late season. I saw nine roosters back there and and, and they, they sort of gave me the slip for various reasons. We picked up one, the dog and I, and it was it's a trophy. But they're there, boy. When it freezes, I can tell you. I can tell you where I'm going to be, Bob. The first time, <laughs> <at> zero. <laughs> well, okay. So that is a perfect transition into tactic number three, and it does transition well from your one and two tactics, which are number one, hunt the thermal cover. Number two, hunt and be on the lookout from food and where the birds go. So if you know that where the thermal cover is and where the birds are gone to and you have your choice of spots your tactic number three says hunt your high grade spots first don't save them for the golden hour go to destination number one to start your day why why do you say that go for the gold it's as simple as is I'll give you the perfect, I'll, I'll tell you why. And I'll tell you a story. December days go fast. You don't have much time, especially you think about South Dakota. You can't hunt till 10 o'clock right. in the morning. You got to be done at what, four. Well, farther West you go, you're a little better off than Minnesota, but four forty-five, five o'clock is gets into December. It's not even that you don't have much time to hunt. You got to get out there, hit the spots, you know, are best and go there. Don't save a spot for the hat for the golden hour. The other reason you don't save a spot for the golden hour is there's going to be somebody else hunting too. We're public land hunters. They might hit it. Don't, don't leave it for them. Go hunt it. Um, so, Winter days have a way of going real fast. Hunt your best spots. Now, I'll tell you a story. I, I, I didn't follow my advice last week. I hunted this spot. I, I'm, I'm going to write about it in the journal a little bit, but we sort of got the runaround and had some bad luck for various reasons. We got a rooster in this spot. There's a lot of roosters left. You know what I did? I, it took me, I went from nine o'clock to one thirty, and we had that one rooster and it was a trove. I was happy as hell. I thought I had to go hunt a couple more spots. You know what I did? I wasted daylight getting to other places where I didn't see any birds. I should have just stayed there. There were eight other roosters back there somewhere. That was dumb. <laughs> Okay. Everybody, everybody does dumb things. And, and I, I still I woke me up last night. I'm like, why didn't I stay there? Mm -hmm. um, so <laughs> I grade that spot. And if there's roosters there, just keep hunting them. What yeah. the heck? Yeah. And they're going to give you the slip. They're going to fly here and there and back and forth. And, and you've said this a hundred times. I've heard you say it is sooner or later, they're going to make a mistake. They're going to get tired. of. They're going to, they're going to get tired of flying. They're going to, they're going to conquer in. And then whether you got a pointing dog like me or you, or you got a good little flushing dog, they're going to just roust them out. 
Yeah. 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 We uh, often give them too much credit for having a bigger brain than they do. Yep. And, you know, you've got a teammate in your bird dog. You get yep. the wind plays right. And you're going to be able to figure it out and uh, just tip the scales in your end. All right. Tactic number four. And you've touched on this one right from the get go. And, and it's something that it's probably come up in every podcast we've done together. You are, you are a big believer in hunting slow. And tactic number four says hunt slow, then go even slower. Carp, I like to cover ground. You, you are adamant about taking what's the uh what's the word you use? I'm gonna go for a toodle. You like you like taking nice, nice, calm approaches to a hunt. I you know, we've sort of covered the tactic here. Um, uh, so I'll give you another story, a late season hunt. It was post Thanksgiving. I had my kids out with a friend in Western Minnesota. Um, it was late season hunting. It was cold, uh, but clear, nice. It was almost that perfect day. We described no snow on the ground though. We, we found a just a big pot of birds in a night in a big area. We knew they were in the area. We hunted, hunted hard. I finally found them. They all went into the cattails, the big cattail basin. And I went in there, we, we swung around, we drove up to the other road, got the wind in our favor. I took one of my kids and a dog. I sent another kid up to the other end, another kid on the other side. And they watched me do it with, with one of my kids. My boy, Ethan was with me. And my oldest boy, Jer Jeremiah said, you, you go so slow. They said he couldn't hardly stand it. He said, it, and, and, and my friend said, and I wrote it down as close as I could. He said, it was like watching a slow river with lots of bends and backwaters move along. You went side to side and backtracked as much as you went forward. Hmm. And we shot three roosters doing it. So that they slow work <laughs> now. Will I high grade stuff? Yeah, I'll get out and move through stuff and that covers light. But man, when I'm in that thick late season cover, I don't care if they're popcorning up, there's going to be a sitter. And I'm going to, if I'm, I'm as likely to walk past him as, as anything. And uh, so I'll leave you with, with my words of how to go slow. Scour, wander, backtrack, linger and loiter, zig and zag. Doddle and dilly dally, hesitate and stall. How's that? That's that's great. Well, <laughs> and, it, and it is fitting because when you think about it, think about all those times where you've dropped a bird, dropped a bird stone dead, and your dog struggles to find it, even when you know and your dog has a mark on where it is. Yep. And when you think about a living bird, you know, your dog has to hit that scent cone in the yeah. right direction and the wind has to be right. And, and it, if you're just out covering ground, you do stand the risk of running over birds. And so there is a, an approach there that to slow things down and it allows your dog to more diligently use that nose yeah. to find the tight, tight sitters, especially if it's first thing in the morning and they haven't, they haven't moved at all. Um, yep. After roosting, that, and that in will. particular is a good time to take it really slow. And they will. I mean, when it's cold out, they 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 might not want to go out and feed at all in the morning. Mm -hmm. And they might wait till late morning, uh, or they might wait till late. You know, when it's really cold, they might only feed once a day because that's all they want to get out. And and you're right. T 
10, 11 in the morning, they may have not even moved yet. Mm -hmm. And boy, you better be going slow to find one of them who's been sitting here. When did they, when did they go into that roost? 4.30 last night. They've been there for 14, 16 hours. There there isn't much scent there for your dog to find. So you got to search them out. You got to get, like you said, that you don't quite know what's going on with the, the, airflow where the dog is they've got to go back and forth and try different angles let let if your dog wants to go back just follow it i mean it it, it goes back to trust that dog i don't mm. care if you're following a lab or a german short hair or, or a 28 pound little Brittany. they all know more than we do about finding birds yeah that's uh, ladies and gentlemen that might be the most important tip in this particular podcast is many of us me included walk too darn fast slow, <laughs> slow down and uh there's more birds that you're walking over and everybody else is yep. uh because you're not taking enough time to hunt the best stuff very deliberately all right your your fifth and final late season tactic um when i read this i was like you know that's a really good one and nobody ever talks about it um so we're going to talk about it and and The title doesn't necessarily give it away. The tactic is skip the larger shot. So explain what you mean. And folks, pay attention to this one because I was just talking with with my buddies at Federal Ammunition and we talked about it and they're like, that's a really, really good point. So Carp, take it away. I'm Bob knows this about me. I buck conventional wisdom all the time and conventional wisdom for shot side let's talk we're just going to talk lead shot here let's let's not uh let's not muddle it up talking about non-toxic let's just talk shot size conventional wisdom says wow it's late season the birds are bigger the birds are tougher they got more feathers we got a bigger shot to knock them down i say no you don't if you like a certain shot size throughout the year stick with it at the late season one reason and it's not the uh maybe not the biggest reason but it is big is that's the shot you, that you have hopefully patterned with you're confident with you know how it shoots you know what range you can shoot at um there's a million reasons to use it another reason p- people think that large shot knocks them down but penetrates better it doesn't think about think about the size of a sphere will say, think about a baseball hitting a, a wall of vegetation, and then think about throwing a pea at the same speed into that wall of vegetation. What penetrates it better? That little pea, because it can find a way in. That, that baseball catches the vegetation, the feathers, and that can't push in as well. And pheasants uh, aren't that much more, I, I would offer that they're not any more heavily feathered in December than they were in November. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm not going to get into a shot size. You, you probably don't want to talk to me about shot size, but I, I'll give it away. I'll tell you this. When I'm in Kansas hunting quail, I use seven and a half shot. When I see a pheasant, they, they're pole dead. Yeah. 
they're yep. just Polex dead. So if you like six shot all the year round, don't change. Stick with six. If you like five, sticks with five. If you like four, stick with four. Certainly don't go small. Don't go smaller for late season, but don't go larger. You don't need to go larger. You don't need to go extra magnum. And I'd also offer that there's a lot of wisdom in quotes that says late season means long shots. I think I think late season means short, shorter shots. <laughs> They're sitting tighter. It, when you find one, as, as you've said, they might be closer than ever for the whole year, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And the folks at Federal Ammunition, you know, agree. The number one word they said was consistency. And, it, and that relates back to, to if you are comfortable with the way a shot patterns in October, shoot that exact same pattern, that speed, the speed of that shell in December, and you're going to be more accurate. You don't need to drop down to two shot. If you're going to hit them in the head, just hit them in the head, make a good yeah. shot. And like you say, you shoot seven and a half all year long. I shoot fives all year long. And whatever you feel comfortable with and consistent with, stick with that. And you're going to be much more um, accurate because of that consistency. Yep. Go. Cool. I mean, and, and federal's got a lot of loads. I, sh I shoot mostly high federal hybrids. They're, they're nice shells, two and three quarter inch, seven and a half. I mean, to be honest with you, for upland birds, I shoot the same shell for everything from sharp tails on September 10th through pheasants on January 28th. Yep. It's a, it's a, it's a seven and a half, you know, ounce and a quarter load. And uh, so, but you, you hit it consistency, the, that, that load that, you know, you can hit them with, be, be confident. And then you can, and then you'll hit them when you got that, that 10 yard flush and you, you, you got to smoke a cigarette and let them get out a little bit. Or if they're, <laughs> flush, or if they're flushing at 30 yards and, and you know, you've made some 50 yard shots in October, you can do it. Yeah. And they're, they're going to, they're going to fall just as well. Now they're, they're no different than the birds you shot at in October. All right, so now let's hit the road. We it, in your article you profiled four states yep. with seasons that go um, into January. I'm going to do it in reverse order than your article. Um, yep. Let's start with Iowa because Iowa, although it does go into January, um, they do close January 10th. So it's the it's the first of the late season states to close. Um, and I know you love going to Iowa. Um, Iowa's got a nice mixed bag to offer. Tell us about Iowa for late season roosters. I think it's, um, you know, it's, uh, we'll talk about South Dakota. Iowa is just uh, pheasants for, we have a lot of Minnesota members in pheasants forever, of course, in Northern Plains, North Dakota, South Dakota. Iowa can get you just a little, I call it a half a notch to a notch milder, especially the farther South you go in the state, you get down to that Des Moines level and below. And, and there's there there's not as many pheasants in some of those areas as that swath that goes from northwest to southeast but there uh, Iowa's pheasant numbers are good this year they're they're good to very good mm -hmm. um, some some people probably even say better um, than that so Iowa is the first season to close I, I, any anything I, I focused on what I considered the the primary pheasant states that that closed after January first, and and Iowa closes January tenth. This coming up coming up in two thousand twenty one. Um, there's about 
Iowa isn't the king of public land, but the public land they have is good. Mm-hmm. They really manage it well. Hey, man, you go to some of these these Iowa wildlife areas, they really do a nice job. Uh, they also have IHAP now, the Iowa Habitat and Access Program, a lot of good. And those are all part of those programs. Part of the reasons landowners sign up for that program is the habitat work. Now, a lot of those lands, in, in my opinion, are, are farther south in the quail range. And I probably shouldn't even mention it out loud, but, you know, there, there's quail in southern Iowa, too. And, and you can have some combo hunts down there. So let's move on. Yeah. Well, and that's what I was going to focus on with Iowa, because if you do live in places like Wisconsin and Minnesota and the Dakotas and you want to get a taste of the addiction that is a covey rise of of Bob White quail, Iowa is the closest, best um, opportunity for you to get to. And particularly, you know, if you head down to that southwest corner where Carp's talking about that IHAP land, um, you can have a wonderful combo platter pheasant and quail opportunity. Yeah, think about think about what might be happening if you live to the north. You might just be socked in. You, I um, live in west of the just west of the Twin Cities, uh, so imagine that latitude. I can hunt. I can drive and hunt, be hunting quail in, in this on the same day. Yeah, down there if you get up early enough, and it doesn't even have to be that early in the winter. So that that's pretty good. Uh, but so Iowa is it, it, for pheasants too. There's there are lots of pheasants in Iowa. There's good public land. I'll tell you something else. Every every pheasant I shoot in Iowa seems huge. <laughs> I don't know what it is. They are big. Corn bed. Big, you know, Bergman's rule says the farther north you go, the pheasants should be bigger. I mean, I shoot these these pheasants at the northern, what what I would consider the northern edge of the Minnesota range, and they're like two pounders, two and a quarter. These Iowa birds are huge; they look like little turkeys sometimes. <laughs> there, it's fun to get an Iowa bird there, and they got those big, wide tail feathers. Oh my God! If you get a late season Iowa bird, you've got something. <laughs> <laughs> well, all right, so let's move to our uh, neighbors to the west. South Dakota, for the first time, uh, is open. Their season is now extended through the entirety of January. So South Dakota, late season roosters, Garp. It's going to be interesting to see what the hunting pressure is on South Dakota late season. You know, hunters are traditionalists. And we, we get our little traditions and South Dakota isn't on the radar screen for late season hunting somewhere else might be. Um, so it'll be interesting to me as, as a sociological study to sort of to see how, how many people are really take, going to take advantage of it. And we hope it's a lot. You know, it's, it's an open season. We and you. This is another article. Uh, uh, Jim Woolley's biologist brief in in the in the winter issue that this article is going to be and talks about you can't really overshoot the roosters you know you can over disturb the hens that's what that other article we talked about is about but you can't really overshoot the roosters in fact you want to get rid of a lot of roosters because they're bigger than the hens and they compete with them um, for for resources i.e cover and food in winter so 
get out to South Dakota and hunt. You know, a lot of it's going to be weather dependent. You know, if you know, we're, we're sitting here in the first week of December, all feeling cheeky, like, oh, things are going to be great. You know, by the by, by January, it might be two feet of snow and 20 below zero and nobody's hunting anywhere because you can't get anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, but if it's a little milder, you get a mild break or that January thaw at the end of January. Oh my God, you can go to South Dakota and hunt. Yeah. There's a lot of public land and it, it's getting hunted hard this year, but there's a lot of birds out there. I've heard some stories that, that, uh, that let me, that tell me that there, there is not going to be any shortage of birds in January in South Dakota. this year. Yeah. It's, it's known as the pheasant capital and for good reason. And, yeah. uh, I, I think you're right. There's a lot of people with traditions of going elsewhere in January and the folks that do, circle January on their calendar and go to South Dakota are going to be surprised that I think it's going to be lighter pressure than some of the other places, or at least in this first year, and there's yep. going to be a lot of birds. Yep. All right, let's move south to a state that has been open through January for, for years is Nebraska. Yeah, I like I like Nebraska. It's um, you know Nebraska sort of it's definitely that notch milder, um, and we'll get to Kansas, which is which is my favorite late season place of all. Nebraska to me is a December. You know, let's look at this. If I was to travel down the Great Plains, it'd be September North Dakota for sharp tails and has some great pheasant hunting mm-hmm. too. Give me October in South Dakota, November. In, in Nebraska in January in Kansas. <laughs> Maybe that'll be my work plan next year, but Airbnb in each state. You, one, one. you skipped December. Where would you be in December? Oh, did I? I think you I probably, said North Dakota, September, September. Um, October, South Dakota. Then you went November, November would be Minnesota. Okay. And then yeah. December, Nebraska, January, yep. Kansas. Sprinkle in a little deer hunting in November in Minnesota, <laughs> Wisconsin. You gotta, you gotta put a little meat in the freezer too. Is it what you need? Some red meat to go with the white meat. So Nebraska's a great state, though. I mean, you, late season, you can get some awfully nice mild weather. You can get some nice wintry weather too, which sometimes we as pheasant hunters long for, mm-hmm. and you can get that in Nebraska even more than Kansas. Um, the, the great thing about Nebraska is OFW, open fields and waters, 1.2 million acres of that stuff. That's private lands, open to public hunting. And uh, that that's really Nebraska's stalwart mm-hmm. uh, public lands program. You don't have to know anybody in Nebraska to go down there. And, and we'll also say quail. Yep. You know, especially the farther you get, you get down in that south, that southern tier of counties toward the southwest, not to the panhandle, but just, you know, when you mm-hmm. notch down from the panhandle, a good quail hunting in Nebraska, too. And, and that's one reason to take one of these late season trips is is this mixed bag um, in, in Iowa, Nebraska. And the last one we're going to talk about, Kansas all have that opportunity for for Bob White's, which are uh, you use the right word. They're they're addictive a- after. I usually don't, I never be really am able to hunt quail till January because I'm pheasant crazy. But every time January's over, like all I want to do is hunt quail, you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you've already let the cat out of the bag. Your favorite late season state, the place where you can chase and bag four roosters, Kansas. Tell me about Kansas. Well, I'll tell you about Kansas. I bagged four 
four roosters in Kansas last year in my trip across the state. And I was happy as a clam because I coupled it up with coveys of quail I had found. I mean, I was more concentrating on quail, but I, the roosters were in, in every, every place I went had roosters and you, you had to find, work for them, but they were there um, in, in these quaily spots. And I was hunting quail and I found roosters. If I'd been focusing on roosters, maybe I would have shot more, but I was just happy as a clam with four, you know, great big late season Kansas roosters mm. um, and, and being able to hunt quail. Another beauty of Kansas is, is the public. I was talking to somebody the other day and they said, yeah, I like to go to Kansas, but you know, there's really nowhere to go. And I, and I bought my job, I hit the ground. They said, have you heard of Weha? And Weha is their walk-in hunting access program. And that's private lands leased for public hunting. And it's, it's with Kansas's WMA system, it's over 1.7 million acres. I think, Bob, isn't Weha itself at least 750,000? I think it's 1.1 million of those. Yeah, it's, yeah, I think you're right. It's back up over a million. That's all I hunted last year crossing Kansas. Mm. Uh, in addition to the Kansas Veterans Wildlife Area, which is a Pheasants Forever uh, property out on the Colorado border, which which was fantastic, by the way. And which, by the way, to bring us almost back to a full circle, is hunted heavily because it's well promoted. Yeah. And, and and I shot roosters there in the last two days of the season on that on that wildlife area, which goes to show what A great habitat can do and B how tough pheasants are and smart they are and how they're there at the end of the season. But Kansas is uh by far my favorite late season place. And you can all hear it here first. I'm going to go either those ne next to last or last week in January, Bob. <laughs> Have you submitted your time off at ADP yet? No, no. <laughs> I'm waiting to see what the weather's going to be. Yeah. Well, so one final caveat um, as we, as folks are making these destination trips, and I'm particularly thinking about northerners who are going to Kansas and Nebraska in particular for the first time. We've talked a lot about cattails and cattails are the recipe for late season birds in the Dakotas and Minnesota, largely in my opinion in Iowa, yeah. but it changes in Nebraska and Kansas. And I've hunted Nebraska and Kansas almost every year for 10 years. And I think I've hunted one cattail slough in Nebraska, and it was last year. There just simply aren't that many cattail pockets as thermal cover in as you move south into the Great Plains. So the yep. winter cover in Nebraska and Kansas is different than cattails, isn't it? Yep. Yeah, I I really is to me it's three things. One is that big blue stem, we all know what blue stem looks like, stiff, stiff grass, tall. It'll stand up to a little bit, some snow, a fair amount of snow, and it'll stand up to wind. Um, so that native prairie grass, Indian grass, blue stem, you know what it looks like? Well, how do you know? Because it's standing yeah. up. Two is that pollinator stuff. And Nebraska is great. I mean, you can read on and on. Every, anybody who reads a magazine knows how I talk a lot about pollinators and and 
how good good pollinator habitat is good for pollinators and it's good for for game birds so th those wildflowers are stiff um, they're also great brooding cover but they're also they're stiff stemmed you think of a coneflower sunflowers uh, rudbeckia sun wild sunflowers they all have it so and so that that's it that those are and then the third i'd say is woody cover yeah plum, th plum thickets willow brush lines old band and farmsteads and those are the quaily the quaily places too if we can use that word and that that's that's the other because that's not going to go anywhere when there's a little snow or a little cold or a little wind and i'll throw one more in there and i'll bring it up again at uh, sorghum and sorghum, particularly yep. um kansas i think is the number one producing sorghum state in the country yep. and an awful lot of landowners who are enrolled in Weeha just cut off the heads of the sorghum when they harvest and leave the, as you talk about, the rest of the stock um, yep. standing. And you know, you can go to our blizzard bluster, blizzard buster mix in our signature series, the Pheasants Forever Signature Series seed mixes, and the primary seed in that mix is sorghum because yep. it's as you say. It stands up to, to winter. It's got a food connection to it. And with a head, if the head is on in winter, and it, it drops those seeds and is high-value high food content for the birds. So a lot of places when you go in Kansas and Nebraska, you can find whether it be food plots or walk-in areas with sorghum, and you can find birds in late season. Here's here's another uh, yeah they have their cover and they can eat it too. Here's one 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 last tip related to the states and that's Nebraska is take some time to call Nebraska. I mean you could do it now, but if you're planning like next year if you're planning a hunt there or do it now if you're going to plan a hunt this year is get their open stubble program supplement to the open fields and waters. What they do is at a certain time of year, uh, usually in by mid November I think it is they have identified open stubble fields that are open to hunting and you think mm, stubble well i tell you what i've hunted some of these fields if if and you might have to go past four or five of them but you might find one with uh, the, where the head was set 14 inches off the ground mm -hmm. or a wheat field or a sorghum field but usually they're wheat there's a lot a lot of them are wheat fields and those birds are just out there you know plus if there's a cover crop in them oh my god so oh the open stubble program in Nebraska could, can be a late season. It's sort of related to uh, sorghum in a little bit in that it's grain yeah. and it's food. And it can also be cover. Well, and one final tip to add on to that. If you can find a draw or a pocket of woody cover within that stubble, stubble section, and particularly the wheat stubble section, you have just found quail Valhalla because it just sucks those quail in like a magnet they hang around the edge of the wheat stubble and then they drop back and forth into those little draws uh it's just really really good recipe for quail success yeah chad, chad love our quail editor will tell you that till 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 uh the summer sun burns you up and hell freezes over woody cover yeah for woody cover woody cover find it <laughs> uh all right carpet and again we'll point folks to this article it appears in, in its entirety 
and it's titled it ain't over yet it's in the winter edition of the pheasants forever journal if folks want to uh sign up become a member carp they can hit us up with an email and we'll take care of them right yeah, yeah, right, man. And we did this with the fall issue, and we got a nice, nice letters from folks signing up to be a member because they want to get this issue. And and uh, oh, here's a little secret: I'll probably send you some other back issues too. So email me t carpenter at pheasantsforever.org or Bob at Bob S at pheasantsforever.org. And let, just send us, say, hey, I listened to the podcast. I'd love, tell us you loved it. That'll make us feel good. And uh, and and you joined. And uh, put your address in there, and I'll we'll send you the magazine and probably a couple others too. And, and you know, go on pheasantsforever.org. We've got great. We've always got a great membership offer going, and you'll get whatever gifts are on there too. But you'll also get. Bob or me to uh, to send you a magazine, a couple ma a magazine or two in the mail because you won't get this one because uh, it's already it's sitting in the mail as we record the, or it's in the mail stream as we record this. But we want you to join if you're out there hunting pheasants. Um, you, you should be a Pheasants Forever member. What Pheasants Forever does for habitat on public and private lands and for creating public lands that are forever yours and mine and even Bob's to hunt. <laughs> they, they are, we, we, that's what we are about. Uh, habitat, restoration, uh, making habitat, restoring habitat and making new places to hunt. And if you hunt pheasants, if you hunt public land, you should be part of this, part of the Pheasants Forever family. Perfectly said, Carp. Thanks for doing this. It was a lot of fun. I, I always enjoy these. I could probably go on for hours and hours. We we did this one in a little over an hour. Hopefully, we just kept people engaged, and now they're all going to go out and hunt late season birds. All right, folks. That's Tom Carpenter, editor of the Pheasants Forever Journal. We do hope you go out and hunt late season birds. We also hope that you have a very Merry Christmas. Stay stay safe, stay healthy, and get out there this January. Go out pheasant hunting. Become a member, pheasantsforever.org. I'm your host, Bob St. Pierre, saying always follow the dog. Something good will rise. Thanks for listening, everyone. <laughs>